So if you will, turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 17. And uh, this chapter is truly one of the greats in all the Bible for one specific reason. We see the prayer of Jesus in the most amazing way. Some commentators have called this the holy of holies of the four Gospels. Why is that? Because here God the Son prays with His Father just before the cross. Now the holy of holies or the inner inner sanctuary of the temple area where only the high priest was allowed to go in once a year and offer sacrifice and atonement for sin is that place that was held in such high esteem for the children of Israel and that it was so reverent and holy and here in John 17 we see the heart of Jesus in praying to his father in heaven. And it's a prayer that he makes on three parts. First, he prays for himself in the first five verses. Secondly, he prays for his disciples. And then thirdly, in the last section, in verses 20 through 26, he prays for all believers. He prayed for you and I. And that's why this chapter is so relevant for us today in respect to seeing the heart of God and his desire for us as his people. As I said, it's the greatest prayer ever prayed on earth. And God the Son praying to the Father makes it clear that he was not a victim of the cross, but rather a victor. He is the great overcomer who overcame all obstacles, even death itself, on our behalf. Why did Jesus pray this way? That's the question about this chapter that we need to address. First, he was preparing himself for the suffering ahead. Secondly, he also prayed for an empowering for his disciples and what they would endure as his followers. And then, he prayed for their security their joy, unity, and their future glory. And he prayed for us today so that we could all know that he's, what he's done for us, given to us, and will do for us in heaven. This is an amazing chapter, an amazing prayer. And I pray that you all would take time to read this chapter over and over again. This morning we're going to... Um, Look into the first five verses only. Uh, Time forbids that we would go through the entire chapter because we could not do it justice in the time we have remaining. But this morning we're going to look at Jesus' prayer for himself uh, and the glory that he desired to be restored. Will you pray with me quickly? Father, we just ask, Lord, that as we look into your word this morning, you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our eyes to the truth that are found in uh, these verses of the heart of your son Jesus and how he loved us and how he loved you and how he loved his disciples. And Lord, how we can walk in that love, be blessed by it, and know the greatness of your desire for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now it begins with Jesus' 
focus on earth. And if we'll look at the first three verses, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The hour has come. Augustine wrote, early church father Augustine wrote of this, that Jesus showed that all time and every occasion when he did anything or suffered anything to be done was arranged by him who was subject to no time. Let no one think that this hour came through any urgency of fate, but rather by divine appointment. Jesus was always in absolute control of all things pertaining his public ministry on earth. And now he was preparing for his ultimate goal, the cross. The cross stands as the supreme revelation of his love for us. Now some people would look at that and say, oh, it's a horrific thing, the cross. And what he had to endure there. And how he was shamed and openly mocked and ridiculed the suffering of dying, a prolonged death there nailed to a tree, embarrassed, naked for all to see. But at the same time, it proved the love of God towards us and how he greatly loved us in such a wondrous way that he would sacrifice his own life for us. Jesus not only loved us, he loved the Father. And he loved his disciples. And because of this, he prays to that end. And he prays an amazing prayer here. Beginning with the idea that the, the hour had come for him to return to his glory. When he prayed, glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. His whole point was is that he was looking forward to what would happen after the cross. He was looking forward to returning to his previous glory that he knew with the Father. And we'll get more into that in a moment. This was his great love that he had with his Father. That they were one as he is in us and we are one with him. He was one with the Father. But even more deeper and more intimate to that. This is the greatness of his love towards you. The question remains, do we love God in the same way? After all, it was his love that called out to us. His love was revealed to us and saved us. How can we do anything less than to love God as he loves us? That's the question we need to ask ourselves today. Are we loving God the way he has loved us? In the same attitude, with the same spirit, with the same unction in our hearts to do even as God did for us agape love which is the Greek is the Greek word for the highest form of love is not natural to us as human beings as a matter of fact it's impossible for us to love in an agape love in our own strength we can be vessels or channels for that love and allow God the Holy Spirit to work out that love in our lives where we demonstrate it to others but to 
actually possess that kind of love that bears all things, believes in all things, hopes in all things, endures all things, that never fails, that's not possible for human beings in our own weakness, in our own strength. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to demonstrate his love towards us. And in doing so, has enabled us to emulate his love and display that love to others and have that attitude of love in such a way that influences others for the glory of God. But in order for us to experience that kind of love and emulate that kind of love, we must love God in the same way and have that passionate desire to do all that he asks of us and to be the kind of sons and daughters that he would take glory and joy in. Jesus' attitude was to glorify the Father, he said. And as Jesus prepared for the cross, he desired to to have that glory that was once his. Now this is not a selfish prayer on his behalf. Hey, I need my glory back, Father. I need it back. I'm tired of this life. Uh, You know what I've had to put up with? The kind of people I've had to work with? He prayed all night before he chose the 12, and then he picks Peter and other fellows like that who are constantly bickering and arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest. This, This group of guys that, well, all of us could qualify for and that we do things that we shouldn't do at times and the things that we should do we don't always do. These were the disciples and he picked them. But the good news is is that Jesus modeled for them and for us the truth about his glory. His desire to have that glory once again was not a selfish desire. It was a prayer of desire for others, for the Father. He longed to be one with the Father again. In his return to heaven, Jesus wanted to glorify the Father and all that he did. Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe says, from the human point of view, Calvary was a revolting display of man's sin. But from the divine point of view, the cross revealed and magnified the grace and glory of God. And it's such a great truth here. And Jesus not only glorified the Father, but he, he also glorified his bride. Look again at verse 2. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is a beautiful prayer that Jesus is praying on our behalf. His desire is to give his followers eternal life, which he describes as knowing the Father and the Son. What's involved in knowing Jesus? Knowing something about him, first of all. There is a growing ignorance today of the Bible and the person of Christ. Um, How many of you are familiar with Greg Glory, the evangelist, uh, who does the Harvest Crusades in America and other places? People say he's the next Billy Graham. I don't know. That's tough shoes to fill. Amazing evangelist Billy Graham was. But Greg is doing a tremendous job. He came out of Calvary Chapel system. Uh, His church, Harvest Riverside, boasts of more than 10,000 people who attend it, 
with satellite campuses in other cities. And he's a mega church with a mega ministry. But, you know, with Greg, he makes such an impact every year with the Harvest Crusade. The Los Angeles Times, a very liberal newspaper, allowed him to print a story. And he said, what is so disturbing about the Bible? Because Greg had some flyers made for the upcoming crusade that happened in August. And it showed him in a kind of retro-looking photograph holding a Bible like Billy Graham used to. As a matter of fact, it was his tribute to Billy Graham. And he was holding the Bible, and, and, and it said, Join Pastor Greg at the, the SoCal Harvest. And people were offended by it. They wrote the owners of the, the, the center where the, uh, the, the uh, billboards were placed and complained. A few. And so they took the posters down. They said, please change the photo. So he took the, the little cross off of it and just left it as a book. And they said, no, no, that's not good enough. Uh, we're just going to take down the poster and we're not going to let you show it. The Bible. The book that helped launch our nation. The book that helped write our laws. The book, actually, that was the first public school textbook in America. The Bible is now offensive. And he wrote this story, article, I should say, what is so disturbing about the Bible? And he spoke of what the Bible had accomplished and what it had done for the history of mankind and everything. And I, to my surprise, there was over 200 responses, opinions that people wrote in. And I started reading them, and the numbers of them that were offended and taking shots at the Word of God and mocking the Bible, saying, I would never trust a book that causes people to mutilate others and to kill whole, whole groups of indigenous people and all the things of the Old Testament where God dealt with the sin of man and its wickedness. Never looking at that for a moment to consider that's why God destroyed indigenous people who were wicked, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and such. And, and these ignorant people just were making comments and the others were commenting on their comments and saying, that's right, and all this you know, group that they were attacking him over a book that reveals the heart of God and the love of God to a lost world. This is what is happening in our society today. And I know you all here have had to embattle that uh, kind of opinion for years yourself. You know, you, you have those uh, scholarly men who, who uh, are atheists and don't believe in, in, in God's word, its authenticity, its, its infallibility and other things, and they're constantly coming out against the word of God. You know, they're forgetful of passages like Hosea 4.6 where God spoke and said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. In Ephesians 4.17 and 18, Paul wrote, This I say in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from God because of their ignorance that is in them. We must learn about Jesus to know him. 
That's why you are blessed to be in a church that systematically teaches the word of God, line upon line, verse upon verse, with every T cross and every I dotted. This is the importance of God's word. It brings life. And Jesus declares in order for us to be saved, we must know the Father and know him. And having a close relationship requires experience and fellowship. And the result in having a personal knowledge of him, we see Jesus in the word and we see him in all we begin to do as Christians, living our lives for him. At least we should. We're to grow in Jesus continually. In the tense of, the, uh, of verse 3, the tenses of the words there, they all inspire growth and an increase of knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we're to continue growing and continue to learn and to continue to know the Lord. The increase of knowledge of Jesus Christ results in a glory in our lives. It's kind of pictured with Moses and his experience at Mount Sinai when he received the commandments etched in stone. When he returned from Mount Sinai, his face radiated God's glory. Paul expounds this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and he gave the practical application of Moses' experience. He wrote and said, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Paul said, we all, not just Moses and the Elijahs, but all of us, you and I, everyone who knows Christ, are being transformed into his image more and more. The weakest, poorest, and lowliest, or lowest, excuse me, can reflect God's glory, can actually reveal to others the glory of God. With unveiled faces. God has taken the shame that was our lives. And removed it, the veil from our hearts. Now we can reflect his glory in such a wonderful way. And it is a finished work that Jesus is speaking of. It's just revealed day to day in us. Look at verse 4 in John 17. Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. Past tense. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. This is a finished work. God is glorified on earth. And Jesus made God available to all. He did this by revealing God's will for humanity. If you will, turn in your Bibles to John 3.16. Would you do me this and stand with me? I want to read this verse aloud. I want you all to read with me. I'm reading from the New King James. If you have another version, well, you can just... I'm sorry I didn't send the notes to have it on the screen for you. You ready? Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Did you hear those words as you read them? What did they say to you? That God loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. That your faith in him causes you not to perish, but have everlasting life. Revealed from glory to glory to glory as you grow. You can be seated. Rob, how long have I known you? Yeah, about 12 years or so. Yeah? How many of you are new to Calvary Chapel? Maybe less than two years? Or how many, you know, how many of you remember Rob 12 years ago? We used to call him Maserati Rob because he was into fast cars and he was this kid. And now look at it. I'm proud of you in the Lord. What God has done in your life. I've watched him grow up as a man. And become a man who loves God. And to me. The reflection of that. Is the glory of God. Being revealed in his life. Because he's seeking God. He sought out a wife. He's been blessed. She's helped him make that transition. And those of you who are married and are successful at it, you know how valuable our wives are in helping us get to that place. I was just like Rob when I was a young man with the same ambitions, fast cars and all that kind of stuff. And then you get married, and all of a sudden, <laughs> you're driving a minivan <laughs> instead of a Maserati. There are old posters in the back of your garage your car park or whatever you call it here, and distant memories of what could have been. <laughs> but you have a greater life and a richer reward. You know, Steve, uh, Stephen Vickery and I were, were speaking yesterday, and we came to this conclusion. When, we're, when we were young, we were all liberals and all wild childs. But when we grow up and we have to earn a living and raise a family, we suddenly becomes conservative and stable. And we realize we work hard for our money. And why should we give it away to people who are going to frivolously spend it? This is what Jesus prayed for in all of us. That the glory of God would continually be revealed to us. And that we would grow in that glory. That we'd be strengthened by it. A work that he finished on the cross for us. He showed that God truly loved us. And he glorified God upon the earth. And spiritual darkness once ruled the earth. And humanity was lost and cut off from God. But Jesus came to the earth and glorified God in the process. And he displayed God's will for humanity. He lived a sinless life. You know the story. He testified that God is holy and just, and yet that he loved us. Being, in ho being a holy and just God, he had to punish sin. So he took it out on his son. And he proved that he was sent by God by the witness of the miracles that he performed when he walked the earth. All that Jesus did was supernatural. Incredible, impossible for man. From turning water to wine, to feeding the multitudes, even raising the dead back to life. He proved that God loved the world. 
And how did he glorify God, Jesus? How did he do this? He finished God's redemptive plan for us. That's how he did it. Jesus' final words on the cross still ring true. It is finished. Life has conquered death. Jesus did it all. Jesus destroyed sin's chains. He made a way for sinners to be born again. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, the enemy of all Christians. And Satan fell right into God's design for salvation. He was a chump in God's plan. He made an end to sin's dominance, God did. He set us free and his redemptive work is complete. All that remains is the filling of the church's ranks. That is we are privileged to be a part of. Jesus, when he made the great commission, which is not the great suggestion, said, go out and make disciples of how many? All men. Teaching them, baptizing them, and making them lights of a growing and great salvation for all. In verse 5, we will finish with this. It's, Jesus speaks about being together in glory. He said, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus' desire to be one, one with the Father. His former glory he speaks to here. Before the universe existed, the Godhead dwelled together in perfect harmony. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in need of nothing. This was true glory. Perfection was the constant of their realm. No evil, no wickedness, no sadness, no terror, no melancholy days. What am I going to do? Where's my future? What will I become someday? God never had that day. Never had that moment. Never had that thought. We need to get God outside of our realm that way. And thinking of God like we think of other human beings and ourselves at times. God is perfect and complete. Need of nothing. This is true glory. There was and is no weakness in God. Creation, on the other hand, is weak in that it cannot ascend to the heights of God's perfection. And the Son knew none of the weaknesses of our mortality. The Son dwelt above it all. As God the Son, He existed in complete perfection. We think of Him as Jesus who walked the earth, who suffered the consequences of humanity. You know, as a baby, had to be led around by the hand. As a young man, he had to listen to the orders of a father who was not truly his father, but was the head of the home he lived in. Fetch that, son. No, carve it this way, as he was a carpenter by trade. The one who said, let there be light, and there was. The one who said, let there, and there was the creator of all things, having to humble himself in this way. He dwelt 
above it all. And all things in his former glory were in his control. As God the Son, he existed in complete perfection along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And none of the evils of our way were ever found in the Son, even when he walked this earth. The Son deserved his former glory. Nothing he did on earth changed that. The Son was encapsulated in humanity. He voluntarily was clothed in flesh and blood, and he was humbled by it. But Jesus possessed the glory, honor, and power of God. Even the spirit world recognized that. In Luke's gospel, chapter 4, you might remember the story. Jesus went to Capernaum and was teaching the people, and they were astonished at his teaching there in the synagogue. His word was with authority. And a man who had a demon cried out with a loud voice, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. They feared Jesus, for they knew he was God. I love what Paul, I believe it was Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews, wrote about seeing Jesus. In Hebrews 2.9, Paul said, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He tasted our death, my death, your death, our children's death. All of it he tasted. This alone speaks to his former glory. Do you see Jesus today in that light? Do you consider who Christ is in every moment of every situation of your life? Do you strive to do that? It's impossible for us to be completely minded that way. But what a goal. What a goal. Instead of dreaming about our future or what vacations, holidays, we might take, we need to be thinking about what God wants for us and how we can honor him this day, how we can glorify him. Oh, you say, oh, come on now. You're asking too much of us. We're just humans. We can't help ourselves. I agree. We are human. And to be human is to be weak. But to have a goal like that, there's nothing wrong about it but everything right. Because the more we seek to follow God, the more we seek to honor God, the more we seek to glorify God, the more we will be like God. And then people will begin to take notice of you. What is it about you? You're different. You seem to be happy. There's a peace about you. You never get upset like others when the boss comes in and says, overtime, you just do your work. And you do it well. You don't complain. I need to know, what is it about? If that isn't an open door to sharing Christ, I don't know what is. And God, help us to be of that mind. Because then we will be world influencers. You have been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said that you are super conquerors in Christ. 
And as the church, we have that power at our disposal today. One of the things I miss about being in the secular world is working with other people that way who aren't Christians. Some of you say, well, I hate working with these non-believers. They're terrible. They swear. They're ugly. They're foul. They're, they smell. They, you know, all, and you start going off the list of things that you see in your co-workers. God loves them every much as he loved you. And we need that heart today. We need to have God in, make us influencers today in every way. But how do we do that? By seeking the glory as Christ sought the glory. It's not selfishness. It's not vain. It's not an egotistic person. It's not being narcissistic in your life. It's seeking to honor God the best you can. The best you can. Do we see him as the son today? The second person in the Trinity, seated at the right hand of God in the throne of authority and power. Do not make Jesus any lower than he truly is. Don't bring him back down to earth as this humble man who walked the earth, a prophet of God, a wise man, a kind man, as secular people like to say of Jesus, who will admit to his life. No. He is God the Son, possessor of all things. All majesty, power, and glory is his. He is the eternal God. As, again, the writer of Hebrews wrote in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, God, who at various times and ways spoke in time past, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of the glory and express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high majesty worship his majesty you know we love to sing songs like that you welsh people are singers i know it i've heard all the stories that guy over there told me all mr vickery pastor john and we sing glorious songs but do we believe them when we sing them is that our heart's desire to worship his majesty to honor his glory how big is your God? How big is he today? Our vision of Jesus must include his sonship, his righteousness, his power, his glory. Then we will reverence him, excuse me, as he deserves. And we will know his glory in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Jesus, for allowing us insight into your heart and your design for glory not only for the father not only for yourself not only just for the disciples of your day on earth but for all of us today lord i pray that that glory would be revealed more and more in the lives of the people of your church your bride whom you're coming to rescue Lord, I pray that for all of us, we'd reflect more and more of your glory in each and everything we do 
in each and every day so that you would receive all the praise, all the honor, and the glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.